everybody, it's Matt Powers. I'm a gardener, seed saver, permaculturist, and family guy, and I teach people everywhere how to live more regeneratively. And I want you to question everything and ask why. Not just how, but why? Because we're at a fundamental shift in paradigm thinking on so many levels. It's crazy from micro to macro. We're seeing the world through new eyes and we're asking new questions. And because of that, we're questioning so many fundamentals and kind of revisiting things, experimenting things over again with new measurements, new ways of, of tracking things so that we get a better understanding of what's truly possible and what actually is going on in some of these experiments, some of these laws and rules and things that we've created in, in our science, in, in our cultures, in, in so many different ways. And so one of the reasons why we should be questioning things is the world is not what it appears. So when we talk about a lot of things, we, we assume that the science, the testing that we, we've done is actually a large enough pool of information to give us correct averages and, and enough information to give us proper insight into what's what's really going on. And one of the best examples is people are, you know, I've been wa wondering what has happened to the nutrition levels of plants and our food. And they're discovering now that like it's endophytes inside the living phloem of the living tissue of the plant. And th these microbes, these protobacteria, <laughs> lactic acid bacteria, as well as, as yeasts and other fungi, they are all swimming in the phloem and their relationship is so critically important. It's how the plant actually can nitrogen fix and 80% of the nitrogen fixation is actually happening through this actual like endophytic symbi symbiosis. And so we have these plants that used to have this thing that we couldn't even detect, that we weren't using, you know, the, the correct testing methods when we decided these things were true. So we didn't look closer. And now that people are using electron microscopes and actually looking at the phloem living tissue of plants, they're seeing all this stuff in the polysaccharides of the plant, these living, not, not, not plant, you know, biology, they are, they are foreign, but they're symbiotically living, they're endophytic. And it's, and it's often, I've been told by mycologists that the, the medicinal components that we, we are kind of taking out of mushrooms, you know, to use, um, they're on the polysaccharides. It's really fascinating. It's really interesting, but it also opens up the question, the fundamental question that, you know, if we don't have a good idea of what is really natural, then we don't have a good idea to what is possible. So we can't really make like assumptions yet. You know what I mean? Right? Right. We can't really make any assumptions because we don't understand what things mean. So uh, what do I mean by this? Well, <laughs> well, let's just take the forest. Let's just take the forest for a second. Have you ever read Sand County Almanac? Well, it's about, it's actually a collection of essays written by um, this guy who's considered like the, the, the father of uh, conservation movement in America. And he's lamenting in these essays that spanned, you know, 
his career and they were collected and published in like the 40s and 50s. Uh, I, I don't remember exactly when, I think it was the 40s that it was published, the collection, right? And it was about the loss of the fundamental species, the keystone species and players in the ecologies of North America. So almost a hundred years ago, they were lamenting the loss of the critical bioregional elements of the forests were removed. The forests were logged. They didn't replant all the trees. They only re replanted the desirable species. Um, they drove out all the large animals when they did this and only select animals returned. And so what, what happened to the soil? What happened to the insects? What happened to all the small animals? What happened to the, the animals that are so shy that they hear you coming from 30 miles away, like the grizzly bears? And they're big and they're easy to track in some ways because they're so big. But what about the more subtle animals that were in that same category? What about the plants and the trees that look similar to each other or taken out by people that didn't know what they were and they just grew on a different time length and needed a co, you know, another species to really take off because that, that, that's often what happens, right? And so they didn't have their biological partner setting and that plant just went away. We've got like a really damaged perspective. We've got like a broken lens. We've got, and w w because of testing now and uh, because of, you know, algorithms and AI and other things that are, are coming down the pipe, we've got this greater depth of understanding of how little we know. And <clears throat> we've got recipes, we've got things that work and we don't know exactly why all the time. We've got these assumptions and rules we've created, but then we've got these breakdowns in the science that we don't really understand yet. But it's those breakdowns in science that I believe are the most interesting part because those are like the, the connection points that um, they're failing to connect, but there's actually an explanation in there in between that that actually does connect them, um, whether it's sometimes, not always, or, or situationally, or you know, all those kinds of things, there is an explanation in there. And so I really love it. I feel like we're in a very fertile time period in mycology and soil science. Um, but, but it's at the same time that we're, we're losing, you know, even the, the, the basic frame of what used to be here. We're losing the biology as we're just getting to see it, to getting to know it. Dr. Johnson of Johnson Sioux Compost, you know, creation, creator, uh, it was documented finding something that Louis Pasteur found in his work. And only these two people have documented it. It's like, wait a second, what? Yes, it's such wide open and unexplored territory in that world, which is our world, which we are comprised of. It's hard to think about, you know that we are just this constellation of, uh, of atoms and, and molecules as um, Michael from Vsauce put recently. <laughs> but it's, 
But it's true. It's like we have not actually explored those spaces. When we talk about protozoa, nematodes, even when we talk about, you know, classifications within those, we're grouping them by behavior and by the way they look. And we divide everything, you know, by the weather it can take up stain or not. And we're just scratching the surface. We're going to come up with completely new modalities, just like when genetics came in, right? Genetic mapping came in and suddenly, hey, that's not bacteria. You know what I mean? That's where archaea is here. That's why we like are like, wait a second, that fungi is not related to that. You know what I mean? We've had to create new phyla. We've had to create new families. There are literally categories of things that we don't know what to do with. And we're like, you, I think, are something related to fungi, but you're not fungi. You're not like anything else on Earth. So, you know what I mean? Like, we're in a strange, fascinating, complicated place. And I feel like we're closer to the truth when we're in that complicated place. But it doesn't discount, you know, the recipes, the how-to, the results-based, you know, research and learning that we need to have to actually, you know, get over analysis paralysis and do something with all this insight and all this, you know, uncertainty, right? We need some certainty to do something, right? So I I really value it. I value both. And so that's why I go through time periods of, you know, intense study and then time periods of intense practice. And so we get a lot of insight and I love to work with large groups of people. So we get this really global, multiple climate, multiple practitioner perspective on on these practices. Um, I mean, and we should be having these things. If you look at earthworms, we all should be talking more about vermiculture, you know, and, and, and earthworms and their impact on the bioregion. They're an invasive species and uh, they've done so much damage, but because we love the earthworms, oh, we love those earthworms. Who could say a bad word about an earthworm? Come on. You know what I mean? We have this this real attachment to it, um, and and it, it, when people allow you know cute things or like things that you're attached to to just hold sway, you you can get like very serious situations, like cute little rabbits that are not so cute, you know, when they're destroying the habitat of of Australia. Um, so we really need to put these things into practice carefully and understand them well. Um, and have these discussions and open up the uncertainty so that we can create more coherent and clear guidelines for how to implement all these things, whether it's gardening, working with wildlife, or, or, or mapping new ways of doing things and thinking about things. Because the reality is we need to approach science with so much more humility. We need to probably apply a lot more chemistry thinking um, and getting down to the actual elements of what's going on to really um, have the kind of clarity and, and, and complexity and humility for, for what's at, at, at work and what's at play. You hear this little frog? This guy's amazing. <laughs> I will see you soon. I just wanted to talk today about like why there's so much, you know, turnover in science There are so many new videos coming out on science on YouTube. The science journals, technology, it's only exponentially growing. It's only exponentially spreading and expanding and connecting to itself. 
as we have the ability to go through so much information. I spent four months reading and studying just the journal side of things, and I'm reading books too, but I find that, you know, you read books for foundational information that gets questioned and tweaked and expanded by the journals and the peer review literature. So I really like doing both. It's even sometimes fun to go back to the 80s or 70s and see what they say. It's pretty cool actually to see what they say about um, uh, that that's you're like, oh wow, you kind of, I thought you didn't know that. I thought that was new. Um, but it's amazing how certain wisdom, even in people systems, right? Social permaculture um, in science have to come again. The ideas need to be reintroduced and, re and re restudied. So many birds here. <laughs> All right. So I will talk to you soon. Grow abundantly, learn daily, and live regeneratively. And question everything. Because we live in a world where you can actually open things up and look at them and see for yourself that the paradigms upon which we were raised in the 80s and 90s, they don't hold water you know, in the world that we live in, exactly. And it's that complexity, that contradiction, that uncertainty point that is so fascinating to me. And I hope it is to you because I, I'm going to keep exploring that area and bring it into the pragmatic, bring it into the how-to, and also vice versa. Take all those natural farming techniques, those organic traditional methods, and show how they are working in chemistry and how we can then apply that with the metrics of chemistry back and then farmers can apply these things at scale which you know is not happening everywhere and having the fluency to see between all the different disciplines and all the different recipes and understand what's happening is what I really want to give people so stay tuned <laughs> and I'll be talking about it I'll be launching the new regenerative soil courses and the book regenerative soil solutions Regenerative Soil Science and Solutions Manual is open for pre-order right now at thepermaculturestudent.com under books. Check it out. I, I will see you soon. <laughs>